This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and on tonight's show, we're doing a spotlight on Iranian cinema. Later tonight, I'll speak with Christy Matheson about Acme's retrospective called The Films of Abbas Kiristami. Christy is, of course, Acme's former director of film programs and played an important role in curating the season. The Films of Abbas Kiristami started at Acme last Thursday and will be running until Monday the 20th of June. I encourage you all to check that out. It's also worth noting that the Acme retrospective on Iranian filmmaker Abbas Kiristami will be accompanied by Melbourne Cinematheque's season Reaching Beyond the Frame, the poetic cinema of Abbas Kurastami. The season focuses on the films Kurastami made prior to his Palme d'Or winning opus Taste of Cherry and features a range of very rarely seen but extraordinary early to mid-career features and documentaries. So I encourage you to check that out. That's at melbournecinematheque.org. And that started on Wednesday last week and will be running right through till Wednesday the 22nd of June. And later tonight, I'll be joined by Melbourne filmmaker and and fellow Iranian cinema enthusiast, Suba Kamal, to talk about a film that we played the other week as part of our Triple R subscriber screening. That is Asghar Farhadi's A Hero. I hope you enjoy the show. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Last week, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, ACME, launched a retrospective of the films of renowned Iranian director Abbas Kiristami in association with Sydney Film Festival, National Film and Sound Archive and Melbourne Cinematheque. The retrospective is running until Monday the 20th of June and covers four decades of groundbreaking Iranian cinema by the master storyteller. I'm now joined by the creative director of the Edinburgh International Film Festival, former director of film programs at ACME, and the person responsible for creating this exceptional retrospective, Christy Matheson. Welcome to Primal Screen, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So Abbas Kuristami is one of the most influential post-revolutionary Iranian filmmakers and also one of the most highly celebrated. For listeners who are not familiar with his work, how would you define his style and and what he wanted to capture on film? So he's a really interesting figure because um, he started out, um, you know, in the worlds of painting and graphic design um, and then he worked for a very long time in a film division that was... um, really looking at the development of children and young adults. So sort of, I don't know, not really um, educational films, but, you know, films that really were for children. Um, And then much later, you know, he moves into into the cinema that we know him for. So the really early films, which people will have the chance to see at at Melbourne Cinematheque, are very, what we think of as classic Iranian cinema. You know, they're big 
big sort of uh, humanitarian tales, but they're told through the eyes of children, often sort of moral tales. Um, and what's really startling right from those very early films is the performances that he gets out of children. Um, they're incredibly raw and they feel so, so real, or, you know, in a, in a very documentary-style way. So when we, we sort of think of Kiristami, there's always this element of the real or the element of, of, I guess, documentary that sits at the heart of his cinema. That's a beautiful way of capturing it. It's often quite difficult to get true authenticity in a film and especially from children actors. I, th- I read somewhere that he said that these films are about children but not for children. Yeah. A large part of his work is very humanist approach and so he's focused on these broader social issues. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, they're not the kinds of films. There are certainly a few small animations and things that, that genuinely are, but no, the, largely the films in, the, in both the Acme season and the Cinematheque season that they're very much films for adult audiences. I think what he pulls out through his performances, especially with children, but but not only children, you know, certainly with a lot of actors he used or or people that weren't trained actors, but then, you know, he, he went back and used um, a lot of the same people time and again, is you get a sense of someone who is really, I guess, trying to mine the what makes us very human. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those... You know, we return again to, I guess, quite what we think of as, as quite complex moral conundrums that people find themselves in. And, and they are specific to the society that Kiristami comes from, but actually they're incredibly universal. He was also a very celebrated uh, poet, which um, uh, I think is another important part of his filmmaking because the film's are incredibly poetic. Yes. And like, yeah, and like a lot of poetry... They have metaphor, they use metaphor, but they also use repetition. So mm. I think what's what was so wonderful putting the season together was that I actually went back and watched everything together in, in one in one big session. So I really over the course of of a of a few weeks watched everything in chronological order. Wow. And what a way to really capture the graduation of an artist. Yeah, and it was so wonderful because in what, you know, a lot of the films I'd I'd seen, but I'd seen them out of order. Some films I hadn't seen for a long time. Some films I'd seen many times. But when you watch them in in a sort of a concentrated group like that, which which Melbourne audiences have the opportunity to do at the moment you see all of these wonderful themes and patterns and reoccurring locations and reoccurring actors or performers. And for you might say, oh, well, that's quite dull, but actually it's quite the opposite. It, it, you just see this very, very rich layer of an artist who was, I don't know, had an itch they were constantly trying to scratch. Mm-hmm. And, and so the films together, I think the more you see of them, you make so many more connections and you're like, mm. aha, you've got all this shorthand. So they're really, they are really, I mean, you can see one or two on their own and you'll still enjoy them. But if you watch them all as a group, um, you just get this really wonderful kind of 
sense of what he was trying to do as an artist. Mm. You mentioned before that he was a poet. I understand he majored in um, painting and graphic design as well uh, during his time at, at Tehran University. And alongside the poetry, there was also painting and photography. And I love the fact that you brought out the poeticism and that repetition that we see. How do you think you see these other artistic mediums kind of surface in his work? I mean, I think, you know, he's someone whose films are, you know, when we th- think about Kiristami there's a really distinctive color palette which is obviously so much born of um you know of of his country and where he was making the films but even you know he made films outside of Iran as well uh, later in his career um and the color palette so the color palette in those early films we've got all these beautiful uh yellows and dusty browns and blues and it's the they're really framed all of his films a lot of them you see a lot of action from from a distance or you'll see a lot of action very close up like the way he sort of frames a scene is t- is a big part of the narrative mm. so i think you know we have that very famous uh moment in through the olive trees where you know that i won't spoil it for anyone but but really where the camera places you in a film like that is very unusual and really builds to the narrative. So the way that the films were framed mm. was very distinctive and the colour palette was very distinctive. And then when he moves outside of Iran for, the, for those later films, Certified Copy, and, um, you, you know, again, it's, it's a totally different colour palette. He's no longer in Iran, but it's really distinctive. He uses colour very effectively. In, mm. And, again, when you watch the films in a sort of a group, that becomes really apparent you're like ah I see these colors again I see this framing again and not in a dull way in a way like I said that really just it's it's like when you go and see you know a big painting show of someone after they've passed away and and for the first time you're like oh I see what this artist was doing across a whole career and that's Mm. what's you definitely get a sense of with, with these films. And just on that, um, I mean, Abbas Kiristami passed away in Paris about um, six years ago now. So when when did you sort of decide that you wanted to do this retrospective? It's it's really it was part of a much larger global um, a much larger global project that was happening. So um, obviously, you know, the dreaded uh, COVID put everything behind, but. There was a huge restoration project that was undertaken by a French uh, company, MK2, who um, a lot of the films for a long time, you could you could see them in bits and pieces. Um, but a lot of the films, especially the early films, you couldn't find good copies of them. Um, so really to do a Kiristami retrospective, I think probably not since uh, James Hewison presented uh, his work at Melbourne Film Festival, which would have been in the early part of the you know, maybe the 2000s, really not since then have audiences been able to see the films. Mm-hmm. So this huge restoration project was taking place internationally and also at the same time the Centre Pompidou in Paris did a huge exhibition of Kiristami. So it was the films, it was the mm-hmm. paintings, it was the photography um, and, a, and a beautiful book came out as well. So we knew this big project was in the works and really it's something that we had been sitting chasing for probably five or six years and not just us but also um uh the wonderful um curators at the melbourne cinematheque everyone kind of knew this kiristami project was bubbling and so (laughs) 
We'd, every year we'd be like, okay, this is the year that Kiristami <laughs> will happen. And then things would get delayed or, you know, the, the wonderful collaboration, you know, it's such a big filmography. Mm. Um, and so to be able to do that across, um, you know, the two Melbourne institutions is so great because it means audiences can get to see all of the films. And then to have that partnership with the Sydney Film Festival and the National Film and Sound Archive is really important because it just means that you can bring these really big seasons, which are really a lot to wrangle and, and they, you know, it's much easier to do this kind of big, you know, season work if you've got good partners and everyone can kind of, you know, do a bit of the lifting. But, yeah, Kiristami I think has sort of for quite a number of film curators has just for many years was just sitting on the, okay, this will be the year. No, <laughs> this won't be the year. This will be the, no. So it, it's it's really been sitting there for such a long time. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's lovely to know that it's it's happening. Yes, and the Melbourne audiences can get along and, and check out basically a good chunk of his back catalogue. For listeners who have just tuned in, this is Primal Screen and I'm chatting with Christy Matheson, who's the former director of film programs at Acme and therefore was responsible for curating a groundbreaking retrospective on the Iranian director, Abbas Kiristami. In your write-up, you mentioned a quote from critic Jeff Andrew, who said that while Kiristami was not a traditional cinephile, he probably thought more deeply about cinema, its potential, limitations and ethics than most filmmakers. How do you think Kiristami did this? I feel like we've touched on some of the ways in which we can definitely see that in a formal sense in terms of this this use of colours, this poetic rhythm to his his work. Um, But how do you think that he challenges cinema? Well, firstly, I think it's interesting. Kiristami um, is, you know... Many, many filmmakers, you know, really credit him as being an inspiration. But he was also a, he was also a teacher of cinema later in his life. So there are actually a lot of filmmakers who literally studied under Kiristami. Um, so he really did teach people about cinema. I think, you know, what's really interesting is when we think about, you know, so he's he's making all of these these very poetic films, these fable-like films, um, you know, and then we hit the, the digital age of cinema and really that, that big turning point um, when cinema changed, you know, formally, the, the, op- the opportunities for what filmmakers could do changed a lot. And a lot of people used that, that moment at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s in very boring ways. You know, they didn't do much with any of the technology. Um, and you look at, say, you know, what Kiristami did with 10, I remember when that film came out and seeing that in the cinema and it was it was a total revelation. I'd never seen, you know, I'd never seen a film that was as sort of rigorous but as playful. It didn't make sense how they made the film and, of course, it was all made by mounting, you know, small digital cameras in the car. Um, but, you know, this idea that he he continued to innovate, not just in terms of, you know, he, he was interested in particular topics and in particular lines of investigation, but in terms of his work as an artist, um, he wasn't scared of using different mediums. He wasn't scared of, of seeing how you could push and pull them. Um, and I do think that there's something, there's a, a, a deceptive simplicity in these films that um, actually really uses cinema to its fullest, you know, to its fullest degree. 
and it seems deceptively simple. The plot lines, you're like, oh, it's a story about, you know, a man who's, they seem very simple, but then once you dive in, you're like, oh, wow, this is a big, complex, you know, conundrum. So I think that on that level, he really, he really knew how to use cinema in a way that many people who, who only use cinema as their artistic medium don't. Mm. So it's quite interesting that cinema wasn't his only creative pursuit or creative, um, you know, the, something that he mastered creatively because, the, the, you know, when you look at his other outputs, they're incredible. But he just, he just knew how to use the full medium of cinema um, in a way that is quite extraordinary. Mm. I mean, Kiristami is known as one of um, kind of the, when we talk about the Iranian new wave, he's one of the defining artists of, of that movement. For listeners who may not have heard of the Iranian new wave, um, when did it sort of come about? So, I mean, what's interesting is he, um, you know, he's making films, you know, quite early. So I think, you know, the first film we, we see here is in the, in the 70s. But then really by the time we get to, you know, later films, there's a film called um, Crimson Gold, which is, um, which is a really important film because, um, you know, that's a film where we meet the other Iranian uh, director who many of us are familiar with, um, Jaffa Panahi. And they, um, they worked together on the film. They, they worked together on the script. Um, so, you know, you have this moment where, you have these new filmmakers coming in. So, you know, they, he becomes, you know, the teacher for um, Jaffa Panahi, who, who really is, I guess, for Western audiences, the Iranian director that we all know. He's the Iranian director that, that we've probably, most people have met Iranian cinema through, through them. And then, of course, much later, you know, we, we get to... Um, uh, you know, we get to figures like, you know, um, Asghar Fahadi, who it also has really, you know, brought Iranian cinema to the West. But if we think about contemporary Iranian cinema, all, all roads really very much, not exclusively, but, but all roads do lead back to Kiristami, you know, in some way. There's many other major figures in Iranian cinema. Um, but I think for audiences in the West, those three figures are really, they, they are sort of... Um, they're consistently touch points back to either understanding, you know, um, touch points back to entry into Iranian cinema. And from there, once you get in, obviously it's this super, super rich, um, you know, cinematic world. But I think for, for us in the West, those three filmmakers have been super important and, and they all stem from this place. Absolutely. And I'm very much uh, looking forward to delving into that world as part of this retrospective. You've actually, a lot of the films that you've mentioned tonight are going to be featured. We have Close Up, uh, The Wind Will Carry Us, Crimson Gold. Um, I love that you've also included a collection of his short films. I love short films. I feel like they really give a sense of style and creativity in a very package and sweet little box and people often there's not often an opportunity to watch short films and they're quite hard to get a hold of as well so I know as part of I'm a board member of Melbourne Cinematheque do know that we have a, um, a focus on trying to couple screenings with short films because I think it's a great way to 
showcase um, an artist's work. What are you most yeah. excited about for the for the retrospective? I think that um, the short films are really unmissable. Like I, I really would say don't miss those sessions or don't miss those moments at Cinematheque where you can see them because you learn so much about the films um, and they're, they're kind of, they really are a sort of, a, if you are a filmmaker, they're almost a masterclass in, in short filmmaking. They're really, really perfect. They're quite, quite beautiful. Um, I mean, to see The Taste of Cherry again, beautifully restored is, is a real thrill. Um, same for Through the Olive Trees. I mean, I think Close Up is, um, Close Up and 10, um, so close up is is 1919. I think ten is is probably a decade later, uh, but close up is just a incredibly fascinating uh, film. You know, it's it's um, it's a film within a film. I mean, it's so so meta. Um, it also features another um, really pivotal figure of Iranian cinema, Mosa Makhlubov, um, and is a story that is built out of a, a real-life event. So, again, this idea that not just making a film about something that really happened but involving some of the people that were really in these events and turning them into actors. I mean, it, it is just it is such a complex idea when you unpick it. Mm. But as a film itself, it's, it's really it's so thrilling to, to watch the film. It's, it's full of... Um, really interesting performances but the narrative is so so interesting and clever and so I think when you watch a film like that you kind of understand that this is someone who yes they were making films but they were interested in really pushing pushing all of the boundaries of what it means to make a film and who gets to be in front of the camera Mm. and so I do think that you know with a lot of these works and it um you know, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful books about, written about Kiristami. And I think once you see the films, it's then a real pleasure to read a lot about the films and how they were made because it's just, there's just layers um, to unpick there. But, yeah, I would say Close Up um, and Ten for kind of their formal daring are, are two films I'd, I'd, I'd say are real, you know, really don't miss. Um, and I think... Um, the other film that's a that's a real classic is Where Is the Friend's House? And that's one of the the films we think of as being a very classical Iranian film and that it is, you know, the story about a, you know, we see the world through a child's eyes. There is um it's a very simple setup, you know, a small boy is looking for their friend and, you know, trying to locate their home and things. So it sounds very, you know, uh uneventful. But it is anything but. And what's quite great about that film is if you see that film, then there are other films that spill out of it, reoccurring characters, reoccurring settings. Um, so, yeah, they, they, would be the, they would be the three. You could only see three, but I, I would really urge people to um, try and see as much as you can because, um, yeah, you will just start to see all these patterns and all of this uh, this you know, rich complexity that builds up as the kind of the layer cake of all the films, yeah. I I would also urge our listeners to check out this amazing retrospective. It really is a masterclass, like you say, in in filmmaking and and the artistry, the poetry 
of cinema. I'm very much excited to to get along to some of these. And we do have, as part of Melbourne Cinematheque, we do have lots of writing that um, from Senses of Cinema, from local film academics um, that you can read to find out more um, about this amazing Iranian director. The retrospective of the work of renowned Iranian director Abbas Kuristami is going to be running at ACME until Monday the 20th of June. For more information, you can head to acme.net.au. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on, Chris. One of my favourite directors, so it is a real pleasure to be able to see his films on the big screen once again. So thank you for arranging this all. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited that people are going to see these films in beautiful restorations. Um, it's yeah, it'll be really great. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford. And on tonight's show, we're doing a special on Iranian cinema. I have the great pleasure of being joined by Melbourne filmmaker and fellow Iranian cinema enthusiast, Siva Kamal. Welcome to Primal Screen, Siva. Thanks, Flick. Thank you for having me. It is so nice having you on, Suva. Um, listeners may recognise your dulcet tones from when, <laughs> many moons ago, we did a bit of a special on local filmmakers and um, we also spoke with you about your work with the Artist Film Workshop. It was fantastic talking to Richard Tui and hearing so much about what's done there with the analogue film. It's it's really fascinating stuff. Are you still working there? I'm leaving Melbourne in a couple of weeks, so I'm I've sort of finished up at AFW. But um, they had a great showing at Acme a couple of weeks ago, which I went to, and they're still. Um, plodding along, making really great work throughout COVID and after. I'm really excited to chat with you about Asghar Faradi's latest film, A Hero, which we saw together actually as part of a Triple R subscribers screening. For subscribers to Triple R, one of the many perks is you do get invited along to subscriber screenings every few months. And I feel like they're always a pretty good selection of films. They're kind of very well curated. And it's a lovely way to get to see films before they reach the cinemas. But this film is available now to to watch. We are, of course, talking about Asghar Faradi's A Hero. So the film stars Amir Jadidi as Rahim. He's in prison, but he's on two-day leave. And during this, this brief break from prison, he tries to settle a very old debt with his creditor. However, things don't go quite to plan, do they, Suba? <laughs> I'm not even sure if we describe this as a comedy, but it definitely has some comic elements. Maybe Shakespearean kind of comedy to it. Yeah, a kind of comedy of errors that seems to... I don't know. I've heard a lot of um, people describe it as quite in the, uh, the same world as like uncut jazz. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Or even good time of that sort of, especially the first act of it feels really fast paced and anxiety inducing. Yeah, and and also these very um these characters that are a little bit morally ambiguous. Um, yeah. We do have Rahim uh, as this, this central character, a man who is currently in prison. However, when you find out that it's for a debt, I think it really puts things a bit more into perspective, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, maybe it speaks to how much I know about. Uh, prisons around the world but the idea of a debtor's prison still existing feels like kind of Dickensian or um yeah archaic but yeah um it seems it is interesting that it seems in the world of the film really acceptable that he would be you know in this sort of a situation 
And there are characters who express a lot of concern and, and uh, empathy for Rahim. Putting someone in prison because they can't pay off a debt, basically for being poor, is yeah, what you're getting yeah. what you're getting thrown into a cell for. Yeah, incredibly inhumane. And I think that this is an interesting way to approach. It's not directly discussed, but it's just there as a reality of this film, which very much fits into Fahadi's kind of approach in filmmaking. Uh, many listeners will be familiar with his other films, A Separation, The Past, Salesman. Everybody Knows. Yeah, yeah. what did you think of Everybody Knows? Because that's a bit of a departure of his work. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people have talked about a hero as being a sort of like a, like a kind of return to form, but I think uh, Everybody Knows is sort of still in the same world of Asghar Fahadi. So he used to be um, a playwright and quite big in sort of the Iranian theatre scene, um, but he's always talking about, um, like, morals or right and wrong and... Um, Everybody knows is is definitely an exploration of that. The separation feels like quite a kind of typical um, Asghar Fahadi drama, um, and I feel similarly about uh, this movie, A Hero. However, I think what he's done is like there are maybe not so many stories you can tell about morality and what it means to be right or to do right and to do wrong. But I think what he does so well in this movie. Um, in particular is kind of shifting the lens from right and wrong onto this idea of what it means to be perceived as a moral person. Mm, absolutely. Mm. That is wonderful um, encapsulation of of the focus of this film. Mm. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Because it's a very kind of narrow film in some ways if you think about the characters involved. But then the, the plot is chaotic. I think Uncut Gems is actually a great comparison. <laughs> I did feel at times quite stressed watching this film. Um, before we get into our actual review of this film, though, I think we have to touch upon some of the controversy surrounding a hero and Asghar Farhadi more specifically. So I think the first thing that's come up is, um, so this is a film that is very heavily derived from a documentary. So what can you tell us about that, Doco? Yeah, so... Uh I, I want to say a couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, uh, s- a film student, as a day, Massa Zayade, he um, made a student film, um, a, a documentary about a, a very similar case. Um, and the documentary now did reasonably well for a student film in Iran. And um, along the process, we're not really sure um, how it, the story ended up in Asghar Fahadi's hands, but um, he maybe heard about because it's it is a true tale of a man in a debtor's prison and what happens um, in the follow up to this sort of very public um, like character trial that he is put on. But um, he gets it in his hands, and him alongside uh, say a couple lawyers get involved, and she alleges that she was sort of strong armed into giving up the rights to this documentary in order for Asghar Fahadi to make this film. And he's been, you know, he's already probably the most renowned Iranian filmmaker currently working. Mm. Um, and I guess there is an interesting debate about whether or not his uh, kind of power in in the world of Iranian film and elsewhere has sort of led for this woman who told this story that a lot of people are saying is, say, um, 90, 90% similar to mm. the tale that's told in A Hero um, is 
really fair or just. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Also, I think really important to note the power dynamics there. You know, a student filmmaker compared to this very well, you know, as you say, renowned filmmaker, perhaps one of the most famous Iranian filmmakers working today. Also, it's a female filmmaker in Iran and her story up against his story. Really interesting power dynamics there. Yeah. And also just, I mean, aside from it being kind of concerning as someone who really loves his work but feels really ironic because a lot of what Asghar Fahadi's work is about is dealing with the sort of and he doesn't um and I think a lot of what people like about his films is that they don't really bang you over the head with these kind this discourse around politics or the history of Iran um and these ideas of censorship and women's rights but um he definitely really deeply tackles these issues so to see him embroiled in something like this which is so deeply about the power the power of Iranian women um is is you know upsetting oh absolutely and I think it's always that really fraught discomfort that you have as a viewer Mm. where you know you sometimes really love the artist's work and then you hear a story like this and you know and I think that the case hasn't yet been resolved. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the sort of ramifications on both sides are so imbalanced. So we're looking at if she, um, the filmmaker, proves to be um, wrong in her allegations against Fahadi, she is, you know, firstly, she's getting a sort of punitive sentence. And alongside that, there is also like... Um, potential charges of getting um like I think it's around 50 lashes so um whereas Fahadi I think on his end if he's proven to be to have maybe stolen it the the sort of scale is is tipped so that he will never sort of experience that sort of punishment Mm, yeah absolutely and whether people sort of remember that I mean the film has already been so highly critically acclaimed A Hero won the Grand Prix at Cannes. I mean, it's been nominated for so many awards. I'm not even going to bother to list them all. But outside of that, even how this film performs, it is also the behemoth of, of um, Fahadi's career and his his iconography yeah. as kind of almost the face of Iranian cinema. Yeah. So really curious case and, and a really interesting backdrop to what a film like you say that does explore these questions of morality, how you present to the public. Um, another case that's come up, I can't believe that this, this film has so much controversy <laughs> around it. We'll have to cover them both. I mean, this is a much smaller court case. It also came up for a hero. But Muhammad Reza Shokri, the man who whose story this is, this film is based on, actually sued uh, Fahadi for defamation, but this was dismissed um, by the court. So that one was kind of a relatively easy one for them to, to fix up, and it's actually been quite hard to find information on the specificities mm. of of the defamation claim because I don't know. Like, let's just go back to Rahim as a character. In lots of ways, he's quite likable. He's very charismatic. He seems to be a very loving family man. Of course, as the film progresses, the complexities of all the characters involved sort of come come out. And that, that line between hero and villain is very much blurred in Fahadi's A Hero, uh, which I suppose is the very purpose of that rather ironic title. What did you, what did you think about the film and, and kind of how this, this played out for you? Yeah, I think it does a really good job, especially at the start of sort of playing us in 
into a feeling of that this is a good man and this is somebody who is in a kind of is in such an unfortunate situation um and I, there is moments in the film where he is you know it feels like he is sort of pushed to do things that kind of go against his character um and i just found myself struck by these feelings of i don't know at one point he has to you know do this interview um for uh, a charity or and a newspaper and there is a sense that he has to kind of morally corrupt himself in order to to sort of do this in a way that would be beneficial to him and he does it with this ease that's so alarming that you kind of (laughs) (laughs) um, um the ease in which he can kind of manipulate his own story um or he can um kind of tell these sorts of like little lies that kind of makes you realize that um maybe you were played a little bit into believing this man (laughs) with this like perfect smile who's like particularly handsome is maybe not as good as you think he is or yeah that's such an interesting observation I I also think though that um outside of the characters something that becomes very apparent in this film is that the system itself is broken like really broken and what the expectations we have of the the hero narrative and what it means like for the charity for instance who who decides to back him for his creditor who has got his money back all these people who are impacted by decisions that are made but they're all kind of caught up in this very broken system and like we said before it's a system in which people who cannot pay off debts are imprisoned it creates this really this humiliation around poverty and times of real difficulty and how you present it also has this really fascinating child character so Rahid's son who finds it really difficult to pronounce certain words. He has um, a learning disability and he's pushed to the forefront of this film Um, and just the moral implications of how we want our hero to present. Yeah, I think it does such a good job of, and as you said, in a world where the system is is quite broken along the way there are so many points where people are so active in their kind of – seeking of truth in it that that feels like feels like only a symptom of a broken system where no one can take a story at full value they're always looking for ways in which they've been had their like wool put over their eyes or um it is interesting to see that the way people find their dignity or their um their sense of self is in the way that they're perceived so you have this interesting dichotomy of like the the main character feeling on some level that he is, as time goes on, it seems like he kind of buys into this idea of who he is, of like being this like altruistic, deeply kind person and the kinds of maybe objectively immoral things that he does along the way doesn't really affect his sort of his perception of himself. And on the other hand, you have this debtor who slowly is painted as kind of a bit of a Scrooge and like, and, um, and immoral or, Uh, lacking empathy becomes quite affected by the way he's being represented as Mm. the creditor um and I think it just does uh, a really good job of of painting this this idea of right and wrong not necessarily existing in the actions one undertakes but in how those things are perceived especially um 
because it's set in this sort of modern day Iran where people have quite clear personal motives and personal intentions that they're not really willing to budge on um, and watching those those things sort of interact with each other way. The creditor's got this very clear motive that he just wants his money back. Um, our protagonist has a motive of, I guess, in a lot of ways, honour. Yeah, mm. honour seems like a really big part of this film. More um, than more than the money. More than the money. More mm. than um, more than on some level even his freedom. It yeah. seems like a secondary thought at times in yes. the film. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's such a curious film because, you know, like we said before, there's this backdrop of what's happening with the film and the filmmaker. But I think at its core, Asghar Fahadi's Hero is such an exceptional film. I genuinely really loved it. I know we both giggled a bit during it, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not like a hearty giggle. It's more of a discomfort. And I think because Fahadi's film is really pushing us to sit with this society and it's so it is it has got the specificity like you say of being set in modern Iran but the it has like lots of um a universality you know when do we decide when we make the good decision you know when when does our you know good behavior is it at the core of why you decided to do something or is it the doing of it you know if you do something just to get the reward is that still a good deed? I really love how this film sort of explores those complexities, having both those layers of very much about Iran and the current situation in Iran and a comment on the prison system and the way in which poverty is dealt with, but also having this kind of broader universal resonance. And I think that's possibly why it's performing so well. Mm. I think also the point you made around um, the use of children, I feel like Asghar Fahadi has such a great way of giving the point of view of children um, as far as in terms of the family or as um, in terms of society is really one of his strong points in a separation. We really see that um, with a daughter caught in the middle of this marriage. Um, but at the same time, and I mean, a side note, that's his daughter. And and then in this movie you have, yeah, our hero or our main character's um, son kind of caught in the middle of this giant case. Um, circus. Yeah, this circus. <laughs> but then you also have the creditor's daughter. Again, that's actually Asghar Fahadi's daughter. Um, she's who, excellent, isn't she's she? She's so good. Mm. Um, Serena Fahadi. Yeah. Serena Fahadi, um, obviously this is – probably the third film she's done um, with her dad, Asghar Fahadi, but um, she plays such an interesting role and has in all of his movies of playing this sort of children being this sort of um, like arbiter for for right and wrong, not necessarily because they know, but because they are kind of bearing witness to yeah. how it affects themselves, how it affects their, their families, um, as is uh, the... Uh, our protagonist's son in this film. Yeah, the son is played by Salah Karamal. His performance is really beautifully understated as well. And yeah, like I love that um, observation you made about the children acting as these kind of, you know, people who bear witness Mm. to what's unfolding in front of them. And it it kind of almost, we're almost in that position ourselves where we're kind of shocked by it. You are at the mercy of these decisions that are sometimes made by the characters, but just sometimes made by the system itself. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a wild ride. I really love this movie. I think on some level I, I, I'm kind of conditioned to love Asghar Fahadi's <laughs> movies because I do really enjoy these sorts of like – We're you know, both a little biased. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There is a lot of talk at the moment that 
there is no kind of new wave for that um, like cinema verite style realism and I think um, Iranian new wave or I think some people are calling it Iranian (laughs) neo-realism is sort of like um, like conditioned to like make movies about morality and right and wrong and I think this is such an interesting kind of lens to look at it Um, it has this element of social media and those things where it doesn't feel like it's so tacked on Um, I really enjoyed it and I think it's a really great through line into the world of Iranian cinema. Um, it's also really beautiful to look at. Oh, yeah. it's stunning. Um, oh, so exceptional. I, I feel like we've both gushed over this film, but it really is very good. And I, I hope that we have also given voice to some of the very serious claims against it um, and against Fahadi. I, I think it's also worth mentioning that, you know, we do focus so much on this neorealism uh, trend within Iranian cinema, and that's been kind of the most uh, successful, critically acclaimed work that's come out of Iran. There is, thankfully, a huge rise in Iranian female filmmakers, which is super exciting. So this is why that plagiarism case by the documentarian uh, and former student of Fahadi's, Azadeh Masazayadeh, um, is so powerful and, and it's really, I think, a site of real negotiation and upheaval that's kind of both terrifying but also quite exciting for what will come from this next chapter of Iranian cinema. I cannot recommend seeing this film enough. <laughs> I did really love it. I did find it in a very dark way amusing. I also found it very stressful, but moments of real beauty and very sharp political observation and actually just human observation. And I think yeah. that's what's really at the heart of this. So if you would like to see a hero, Asghar Fahadi's film is screening at select independent cinemas. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Suva. Thank you so much. It's been so nice talking about this movie with you. Oh, anytime. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. I hope you've enjoyed our Spotlight special on Iranian cinema. On tonight's show, I spoke with Christy Matheson about the retrospective that's on now at ACME titled The Films of Abbas Kuristami, a wonderful retrospective on the Iranian director's legacy and many rare films. The Films of Abbas Kuristami started last Thursday and will be running until Monday the 20th of June at ACME. Head to acme.com net.au for the full program and to buy your tickets. This will be accompanied by additional screenings hosted by Melbourne Cinematheque, which is running until the 22nd of June. I also spoke with Super Kamal for our review of Askar Faradi's A Hero, a film that we played a few weeks ago as part of Triple R's subscriber screening. These subscriber screenings are our way of saying thank you for subscribing to Triple R. A Hero is currently screening at Select Cinemas. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 